Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, that's a great picture of God in your marriage, is not quickly broken. So, number three, have godly friends. Don't do life alone. You're here in this church, and you say, Pastor, you're just too big. No, it isn't too big. Get yourself in a small group. Go to the men's table, the ladies' table, go to our home group table. Get plugged in somewhere. The traditional American mindset has always been one of, I could do it on my own. This has served well for a long time for the most part. And it usually has worked when several people are working toward the same end, even if they're not officially banded together. But Pastor Mark's teaching today will show you that this attitude isn't biblical and won't work in the church. You'll learn today what God's intent is for people and how he planned for them to work together toward the common end of serving God. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 as he continues his message, Open Heart, Open Home. A life without friends is a lonely life. It's a really lonely life. And you weren't designed to do that. Now, here's the thing that we have. There's there's two admonitions I want to give you before I read this. Number one, our best friend must always be Jesus. See, I can go to Jesus with things I can't go to my wife with. So can you. Second, If you're married, your best friend should be your spouse. If you've moved away from that, start developing again. Your best friend, if you're married, should not be somebody outside the home. It must be your spouse. Work on it. Ask God to help you. Well, I love him, but I don't like him. Work on it. Now, outside of that, we need friends. Some of you, the only friend you have is your spouse. That's not right. Guys, you need some guy friends. Not lots. You can't have lots. But you need a few good friends. I spent time today with Pastor Carl. He's my accountability partner. Lots of hours on the phone. Issues. Things that we just had to work through. Not with us, but all kinds of stuff. You know, church stuff. People stuff. He needed that. I need that. You see, it's things I don't even mention to my wife or mention to people here. 
Same with them. You need those kind of friends. Ladies, you need a few friends like that that you can go to and you can share. So a life without those friends is lonely. Listen to the definition of lonely. Being without company, cut off from others, sad from being alone, producing a feeling of bleakness or desolation. Man, just reading that makes me sad, doesn't it? I need to take my antidepressant right now as I read it. Because life is so valuable with friends. Now look at these passages, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Let me just stop there for a moment. I remember after I had open heart surgery, the first few weeks were really tough at home. And I had the shower. I had this, you know, big wound right here that was open. Of course, big wounds on my leg. And I had to shower. You don't even want to picture me trying to do this alone. It was miserable. But I had a friend. This is my wife. She was also a nurse. That helped. A lot. And when I read that verse, it just reminds me. Things will turn around. Someday I'll be like that with her, and I've had to help her with things or whatever. And that's what this is all about. Notice, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. You say, well, I'm a single parent. No, have friends. They can help you. We're here to help single parents. You're not doing this alone. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. Verse 11. Also, if two lie down together... They will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? By the way, verse 11 now, we're moving to husbands and wives. Don't read outside of these verses. <laughs> Pastor Mark, it's in the Bible. No, get into the context. All right. Verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, that's a great picture of God in your marriage, is not quickly broken. So, number three, have godly friends. Don't do life alone. You're here in this church, and you say, Pastor Mark, you're just too big. No, it isn't too big. Get yourself in a small group. Go to the men's table, the ladies' table. Go to our home group table. Go to the fusion table. Get plugged in somewhere. Now, notice in those verses, Solomon reminds us of the advantages there. There's good return. There's work together. We can have help when we're in trouble. We all have trouble. There's comfort. I need somebody to comfort me, and there's protection in the time of danger. So, I need that kind of friendship. Also, and maybe most of us don't like this, but it's good, turn with me to Proverbs 27. You're close by. You're close by. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. I need people in my life to help run the race of life. I need encouragers, but sometimes encouragement comes in the form of loving confrontation. Look at Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The next thing you want to write is this. 
a true friend will at times confront you. If they're a true friend and a close friend, that is going to happen in your life. Now, most of us don't want to be corrected, but there's times when we do need to be corrected. That's why Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Now, even though I know I need to be corrected, some of us have a nature that we don't want to correct other people. We hate confrontation. Now, if you're here and you love confrontation, number one, you probably have the gift of being a prophet. That kind of goes, it's, it's black and white. What's your problem? But you have to be very careful because you confront, but often you don't lovingly confront. Personally, I've been a manager for many years, 40-some years. I don't like confrontation. You see, people that love confrontation are trying to get their self-worth by tearing other people down. Here's, I'm going to direct your life. Let me shred you up. Now I feel good. That's terrible. That's terrible. You don't want to do that. If you have that gift of a prophet, be careful, because you need to balance it with grace and love that comes from God. So most of us, on the other end, don't want to confront anybody. I'll just leave it go. Just leave it go. We've all been there. You left to go, and we should have confronted a long time ago because it got worse and worse and worse. When we raised teenagers, same issue. Well, they'll work it out. No, that's why they have parents. You have to help them work it out, but you do it in a loving, loving way. Now, the Bible says a true friend will tell you the truth even when it hurts. The pastors in this church are your friends. I hope you know that. But sometimes we have to tell you the truth, even when it hurts. Prayerfully, we do that in a loving manner. That's one of the reasons that we have the Word. Remember, the Word of God is used for confrontation and to correct. We have to do that. It's a great thing to have friends that care enough about us to lovingly confront us. So when a friend does it, or it's done it from the pulpit or in a small group setting, don't overreact. Don't be super sensitive. That's our first reaction for all of us. Take their comments. Ask God to help you to change. See, friends are God's way of taking care of us. God has his word, but he has people that are shepherds and friends that just help to take care of us. They help us to grow spiritually and mentally and emotionally and really every way of our life. Romans 12.10 says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, the next one I'm going to give you quickly. You don't need to turn anywhere. This is very important. If I'm going to continue to love brothers and sisters, I have to be a person who is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Proverbs 20, verse 6, Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? 1 Peter 1, 22, now that you purify yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere heart for your brothers, notice a sincere, excuse me, a sincere love, sincere, love one another deeply from the heart. The last thing you and I need is a pretend friend. We need friends who are genuine, transparent, trustworthy. In other words, 
What you see in that friend is exactly who they are. They're not going behind their back. They're not politicking. They're not setting you up. They're not gossiping. They're a true friend. Is that who you are? The people that you're true friends with, are you a true friend? Are you trustworthy? Can they say to you, I want to tell you this in confidence. Does it stay in confidence? You see, if it doesn't, you will eventually find yourself lonely. You know why? Nobody will be your friend. So we all sometimes make a mistake. We talk too much. Pastors have that great problem. The more you talk, the more trouble we can get into. Could I hear an amen from somebody out there? You've been there, haven't you? Oh, said that. So be careful. Can your friends trust you? If they can, can they trust you when you share hopes and struggles and dreams and fears? Now, typically, those things I give to the Lord or I give to my wife. I can trust my wife. She can trust me. But sometimes, in another setting, I might share one of these with one of the other pastors Why? Because I know they're trustworthy. They're going to keep it in confidence. Be that kind of friend, and you'll be very valuable to God and to others. Now, you say, well, why is this so practical? Well, that's how you survive in this world. It's very practical. We went through faith. We went through all the other things. Jesus is better. But friendships, isn't it interesting when you study Jesus? What happened to his friendships when he got to the cross? Where were they? One stabbed him in the back. The others did what? They all ran. Amazing. And yet on the cross, he says to even his enemies, Father, forgive them. I'm still working on that. How about you? That's only from God. That's not brotherly love. That's agape love. That's a God kind of love. Now, in, in Colossians, by the way, you can turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. We're getting ready to go to verse 2. Let me show you this last passage. I think this is powerful. Look at Colossians 3.10. Put on your new nature. So when I become a follower of Christ, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. So the practicality is when God came into my life, I want to become like God. Well, God is trustworthy. I can certainly know that he's going to lovingly confront me. And he's going to do it in a way that's not going to knock me out. It's going to encourage me. Well, look at these practical ways that we're to do this with good friends, with our brothers and sisters, the verses that follow. Colossians 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with Tender-hearted mercy. So this is what a brother and a sister are to be like. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. Pastor Mark, I only want a friend that's like perfect. Well, guess what? You're going to be a lonely person. Number one, you're not. You'll never find one that is. And so we're back to majoring in minors again. Pastor Mark, I like a perfect church. Well, out of those 36,000 denominations, 
times 100 churches each, good luck. Will you find one? No. There is one. You know where it is? It's in heaven. Because there's no sin there. You won't find one till then. So notice, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. Above all, verse 14, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Harmony, unity. That's supposed to be a picture of the church. But what do we see? Division, fighting, jealousy. And the world says, thank you, not really interested. Hebrews 13, 2. Next one. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, again, we have to go to context. What was the writer saying to those people 2,000 years ago? Well, number one, remember, they're Jewish. So they would have known the story that we know well, Moses, Genesis 18. They would have known this. Abraham and Sarah see some strangers coming, three of them. They put together a little lunch, got things all set on the table. You know, they couldn't ride over to Outback and get a carryout or whatever and bring it back. They had to kind of fix it up, and they're working in the tent, putting this nice spread out. The three visitors come. They don't know who the visitors are. As they're eating, they discover, as they're doing this hospitality, which is a big deal in Mideastern countries, still is today. As the meal goes on, Abraham discovers two of the guests are angels. What of is Jesus? That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, the word angel, really, in this translation, means messenger. Let me read you from Wearsby. You and I may not entertain angels in a literal sense, though it is, is possible, but any stranger could turn out to be a messenger of blessing to us. Often we've had guests in our homes who have turned out to be messengers of God's blessing. You see, what is the context in Hebrews here. What is the writer trying to say? Now, these are perilous times in those days for these new believers. Because of persecution in Italy, many of these new followers of Christ were left without a home to live in. They not only lost their friends, there was no home to live in. Now, all you have to do is go to anywhere on 95, pretty much, any major stop. You go on 95 or 75. You go to a major stop near town. You get off, and on every one of those corners, you'll find a what? You'll find a hotel. I mean, they're all over the place. Well, it wasn't like that in those days. So here's people, Paul's writing to, and they're homeless. So they're trying to think, well, how are we going to survive? So there would be some working together to provide these people some homes. Second, many people in those days, Paul being one, teacher, missionary, they were mobile. They would go from town to town to town. Paul was not a member of the Hilton Gold Key Club. Paul would go into town, and where would they stay? Well, the main place they would stay in those days were inns. Now, these inns were not healthy places for believers. Number one, 
They were very expensive. Most of the itinerant preachers, teachers, couldn't afford it. Number two, in those inns, they were pretty much pub-like. Lots of drinking, lots of alcohol, ladies involved, prostitution involved. So all of this is simply a word to us. And in those days, these individuals, you'll see in a moment, they had to have a place to stay. And so the Christians were challenged, look, be hospitable, open your home. There's going to be people that God will bring by to stay in your home. I believe that it has a great application for us even here. That word hospitality is all through the New Testament. Romans 12, 13 says this, practice hospitality. Now, or pursue it. In the ancient world, hospitality was a big deal. It was something that was practiced. Now turn with me to 3 John chapter 5. Notice, again, in context. So in those days, we're talking about people that, well, they were losing their homes, so people would maybe share room with someone because they were just kicked out for accepting Christ. Second, we have these missionaries, Paul, Timothy, Titus, Peter, these people all going around. They couldn't afford to stay in the inn, number one. Number two, not a safe place to stay. So we have some instructions from John. 3 John, verse 5. Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship, please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So that's a great admonition. Again, let me just say this to you. Open heart, open home. If you have the ability to be friendly and to open to people in those days, they were challenged to do so. That would take the truth from a teacher, a missionary, and that truth would go through this local church. person couldn't afford to stay anywhere. They stayed with you. And of course, they were a messenger. So you got a blessing when they stayed in your home. And many of us understand that from time to time, we'll have groups of people here, or this or that and the other. And we'll say, we have a seeing group coming. We need 20 homes for one night. People and volunteers say, well, I don't want to, you know, I'm not aware. But the people that volunteer, you know what you discover after that night? You were blessed more than the blessing you gave to those people. Because you get to meet nice people and do all of those kind of things. Now, There's a danger, though. Hospitality can be abused. Those of you that moved from the north, the first winter you moved to Florida, you had relatives you never knew of. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're coming for three weeks. When? Well, January, of course. Not in July. And they abused it. 
In his teaching today, Pastor Mark taught about the importance the Bible places on friendship for protection from enemies, for comfort and companionship. Two are always better than one. You learn that one of the reasons for having friends is to avoid selfishness, which is widespread and even defended today. You found out that God doesn't like selfishness at all. There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark's going to finish this message, Open Heart, Open Home. You'll hear more about the characteristics that the Bible says makes a good friend. Pastor Mark will also be talking about the concept of hospitality, how it differs from entertaining. You'll be shown many of the places in the Bible where people were hospitable to strangers. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through the book of Hebrews. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurry.